Hey, Downtown Church, and welcome back to the 7-Minute Sunday School. Today, we're going to be talking about Exodus 2. Last video, we talked about how the book of Exodus opens with God's chosen people through whom he is committed to bring blessing to the whole world, stuck under the harsh oppression of the Pharaoh, the king in the land of Egypt. And in the midst of their suffering, their, their ethnically motivated oppression where they're enslaved to the Egyptians in order to build store cities for Pharaoh, we wondered where God was in all of that experience. And we saw that God showed up in the strangest of places, in the courageous faith of these Hebrew midwives, these women who were willing to 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 reject Pharaoh's command to kill the babies and choose uh, disobedience and deception to save the lives of these Hebrew children, and that God had celebrated these women's courage and given them families of their own. But at the end of chapter one, we saw that Pharaoh was not to be uh, convinced to leave off oppressing these Israelites, and he was actually turning up the heat, calling on all Egypt to throw every Israelite boy into the Nile to drown them. And so we start chapter two wondering again, where is God in all of this? And once again, God shows up in the strangest of ways, and once again, it's in the women. We're told that an Israelite family gives birth to an unnamed boy. And this mother, this Hebrew mother, uh, who's been told by the king, as all the Hebrew women have, to kill, to throw their Israelite boys into the river to kill them, she commits another act of civil disobedience. She refuses to follow this unjust command, and she hides the child as long as she can. And when she can no longer hide him, uh, she, she weaves together a basket and sets him into the Nile River. And you know the story. Pharaoh's daughter, the daughter of the man who has implemented this policy of ethnic infanticide, of oppression, Pharaoh's daughter, the very daughter of that king, discovers this boy in this basket. And the Bible tells us that she looked at the boy, she said, this is one of the Hebrew children, and she had pity on him. And so she too, like the boy's mother, like the Hebrew midwives from chapter one, decided to disobey the most powerful man in the world's command, even though she was a member of Pharaoh's household and decides to raise the boy as one of her own in defiance of the king's command. Now there's a third woman here, in fact, a young girl, uh, the sister of this boy who's been placed into the basket. And she has followed the basket and she has watched this all happen. And she too acts courageously to protect the life of her brother. And she goes to Pharaoh's daughter and says, let me find somebody to nurse that baby for you. And the net result is, the sister goes to get the mother and Pharaoh's daughter pays this mother to raise this boy who we finally discover's name is Moses. The most famous name arguably besides God himself in all of the Old Testament. His life, before he even has a name, his life is saved by the courageous justice work of these three women. And Carmen Imes points out how remarkable it is that they are the ones who are shown doing this heroic, courageous, life-saving work before Moses even has a name. So God once again shows up in the courage of these women. Chapter two goes on and we discover that Moses is raised in the Pharaoh's house. And one day he goes out and he sees some of his own people being mistreated and he kills an Egyptian. And so he has to go on the run. And the story leaves him in Midian having found a wife there. 
and we're sort of left wondering, well, where is Moses, this, this character that we've heard about, who we know is going to be instrumental to be part of God's rescue operation? Chapter 2 leaves him kind of wandering in Midian, far away from God's people. But then chapter 2 ends with this very powerful description of God. God, who has been on the scene only in the background for two chapters, now comes to center stage. And it says this, During this long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites, and he knew them. In this remarkable passage, we discover that while the Israelites may have been wondering, where is God in all of this? While they're crying out, not even directing their cries to God necessarily, according to the text. They're just groaning from this harsh service that their oppressors have put on them. That cry, God hears. That suffering, God sees. And seeing their suffering and hearing their cries, God remembers as in he turns his attention towards the promises he's made to this people's ancestors to use them as a community to bless the world, and he commits to step on the scene. And perhaps the most remarkable expression here at the end of the text is that God saw and God knew. God knew their oppression. God knew their suffering. And we discover here in Exodus chapter 2 that the God that the Old Testament tells us about the God that the Old Testament names Yahweh, the Lord of the heaven and earth. The Lord of heaven and earth is a God who sees the suffering of the oppressed, who hears the cries of the oppressed, who knows the pain of the oppressed, and who vows to do something about it. The God who steps on the scene. And from here on out, God will be taking center stage in the book of Exodus. So this week, I want to invite you to read Exodus 2 and reflect on two questions. First, where do we see in our own life examples of modern-day Shifras and Puas, the midwives who resisted Pharaoh, modern-day Miriams or Moses' unnamed mother, or modern-day uh, 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 daughters of Pharaohs who, through their own courage and often out of their own commitment to God, risk their own well-being for the sake of justice, for the sake of others. Where are some modern day examples where we see behavior like we see in these women here at the opening of the book of Exodus? And second of all, what difference does it make to us and to our neighbors? Who needs to be reminded of this truth that the God we worship is the God who sees, who hears, and who knows? the suffering and oppression and injustice that his people face. What difference does it make? And who needs to know? Who needs to be reminded this week that the God we worship is the God who hears, sees, and knows the pain of his people? Think about that this week, and I'll see you next time.